right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Second Chronicles 14, 15, and 16. And uh, we also have communion today, so we'll be going through pretty rapidly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for letting us come and worship you in song at first and through prayer. And then now in the study of your word, we pray that you would uh, quicken your word to our hearts, that it would jump off the page, and um, that your Holy Spirit would use it like the sword that it is um, to get right into our hearts and to touch us where we need to be touched. Uh, You are the great physician. uh, We're your patients, and we lay ourselves out for you to do whatever you need to do. Uh, But we thank you for your love for us, your care for us, um, and that that is where your word comes from. your love for your, for your people. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Because sometimes when you read the Word of God, it's a little rough. But sometimes uh, it's good and, and helpful and, and encouraging. Other times it's corrective. Um, and either way, it comes from God's love for us. Always. Always. Uh, I'm very thankful for the times God has corrected me and brought me... Uh, well, showed me my own heart. I've always asked him for that. But I'm also very grateful for the times he just encourages me. And I don't know what that'll be for you this morning, how God's word will speak to you, hopefully a little bit of both. Because um, you always want to grow, but you always want to be left um, closer to the Lord, encouraged in the Lord, knowing that whatever hand he laid on you, uh, the right hand of fellowship or a, maybe a swat on the rear, that's always out of love for us. Um, and uh, it just shows us that he's our father. So in chapter 14, we see uh, Abijah uh, dying here um, and passes on the, uh, the reign of, of Judah, the southern kingdoms, to uh, Asa. And uh, Asa starts a reformation. It's not a complete reformation. I don't know that we ever have had a complete reformation. We talk about the reformation. It didn't go f- far enough. <laughs> the reformation. Um, it, it, it was a step, though, and it was a good step, and it was a, a step towards the right direction, but um, I don't know that they're ever complete. And, and so we'll see that here in these three chapters. I don't think it's a complete reformation, but boy, it's a, it's a good move in the right direction, and I'll take that any day, you know. I know that in my life I have days <laughs> and seasons in my life of reformation, getting back to where, uh, moving back in the same direction that I was headed before, and uh, getting back on the right path. God's word is a, uh, it shows me where my feet are, where I'm walking, and, and where his path is for me. And whenever I'm in God's word, he'll, he'll correct my course if I let him, if I let him, if I believe his word. And so the nation of Judah is getting an opportunity to have that course correction here with Asa. It says in verse 1, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa his son reigned in his place, In his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. So he has some peace. Now, he takes that peaceful opportunity, these 10 years, to not sit back and enjoy and lay down and have someone feed him grapes, but he takes the opportunity to strengthen himself and to strengthen his nation. And I think that's important for us to take to heart as believers in Jesus. We're going to have seasons of, of battle. Uh, as, as, as Christians, whether that's with a health issue or with an emotional issue or a, a relationship issue or whatever it may be, there's a lot of issues that can attack us. And that isn't the time to strengthen yourself. You, you do want to resupply yourself for sure, but the time to strengthen yourself is when we're in those times of peace, 
mountaintop experiences, we might call them. A time of, uh, boy, things are just really going great for me in my life. Great. Strengthen yourself in the Lord at those times. Study God's word like you've never studied it before. Memorize it. Commit it to memory. Commit it to your heart. Work on areas that maybe don't get touched during the difficult times in your life. You know? And Asa is going to do, or uh, yeah, he's going to do that during this time, during this ten-year quiet period. It says Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places, and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah. For the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them, and towers, gates, and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord, our God, we have sought him. And he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. He had commanded Judah to follow the Lord. I don't know that you can command people to follow the Lord. He, He made it illegal to not follow the Lord. Let's put it that way. He made it very difficult for those who wanted to run amok away from the Lord to do so. He tore down their high places. He took down all the public accepted uh, opportunities to worship any other God but the true and living God. Now, you can't touch people's heart doing those things. You know, you hear the term, you can't legislate morality. Well, that's kind of true. We do legislate morality. In fact, every law is a moral law. It is a legislation against certain things we don't want to take place in our society. So we legislate morality all the time. Some still choose to break that law. We can't change their hearts, but we can make it illegal for them to do so. And that's really all he's done here. And with that, those who are easily swayed and turn away from the Lord, um, not strong in their faith, um, not being tempted by the things they see each day on top of that hill or over with that wooden image or whatever, may very well walk closer to the Lord because they just don't have opportunity to sin. We do that with our kids all the time. We start off with uh, very strict boundaries for them. And as they grow and mature, we like to expand their boundaries and let them explore this world and their life a little bit more. But we do keep them reined in at first because we don't want them to get in trouble. We start with baby gates. We just know that once that toddler starts to crawl, oh, look, they're crawling. And then the, then the reality of it sets in, oh, look, they're crawling. <laughs> they're going after the stuff under the sink. I didn't even think about that as a new parent puts a, at first a rubber band around those two latches. And then you go to the store and you buy all the plastic gear and makes your life miserable for the next six years to try to get these things open. But you do it for the safety of the kids. You do it for, you do it so they don't get into trouble. That's really all this King's doing. He's just put a bunch of safety latches up. It doesn't mean there isn't curiosity. It doesn't mean he doesn't hear the banging in the kitchen of the guys trying to still open those doors regardless of the barriers that are placed in front of them. It still happens. You can't change people's heart. Only God can do that. 
Bible study after Bible study, moment after moment, time spent with people in counseling, doesn't do any good until that person's heart wants to change. Oftentimes I get called into marriage counseling, hey, can you meet with us quick? Hurry, hurry, hurry. What's the hurry? Well, because we've waited so long, we're so determined to be away from each other. We hate each other so much, we're calling in special forces, you know. At that point, it's very difficult with words to do anything. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit to come into someone's life and change their heart towards that person that they've determined to hate. They've determined that God has placed them in their lives to make their lives miserable. And if I could just get away from this person, my life would be so much easier, so much better, which is never, ever the case. But they'll try to. Anyway. You cannot legislate someone's heart. You can put barriers up. You can tear down the wall or the the sacred images and the high places. You can make it illegal to do these things, but there will always be some who have just purposed in their heart to sin against God. They just do. That's where we're at with the nation of Judah. Not to put a damper on it. He's doing the right thing. He's doing what a king should do. If we're a theocracy and we say we're a theocracy, this king would say, then we need to make it illegal to do these things. If they want to do them, that's between them and the Lord, and and we'll, we'll manage it the best we can. But as for me, this is what I'm called to do, and he does do what he's called to do. He commanded them to seek the Lord. Pretty strong army, 580,000 guys. Doesn't really matter. And we'll see that here in verse 9. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Mirashah. So Asa went out against him. And they set the troops in battle array in the valley of uh, um, Zavatha. At Mirisha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Good prayer. That's appropriate. It's not only appropriate, I think it's Shows his heart, but it's also a necessity in this situation. It is two to one. Not, not too bad of odds, but still two to one's two to one. It's not good. Um, but that isn't really why he cries out. He, he is his God. He is someone that he worships on a regular basis. And this is another trial in his life where he calls upon the Lord. Now, he's starting off great. He's in the first 10 years of his ministry as being king. It is a ministry. It is an act of service. At the end of his life, he's not going to do so well with the smaller things. And I want you to notice that as we go through these three chapters. I'm up against a million-man army. God, help us. It's nothing for you to help us. I know that you can do all these things. There's nothing within your, not within your power to help. You could do this. He dies of a foot disease that he never calls on the Lord to help him with. And it's just funny how we think sometimes. God, help me with these gigantic things. I got the little stuff. And I understand that. I think I do that in my own life quite a bit. But I'm not supposed to just let him handle the big stuff. I'm supposed to let him handle the small stuff too. Sometimes it doesn't even cross my mind to pray. It doesn't even cross my mind. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I don't want to bother him with the issue. 
Maybe I think he's busier with other stuff. But I think Asa has an understanding of his God at this point anyway in his life where he says, nothing's too hard for you. The size of God is very big in his mind, and he realizes this is nothing for you to do. This million-man army, we don't need to do anything, whether there's a lot of us or whether there's none of us. You can do anything, and that's a good perspective of the Lord. It isn't impossible for him to do anything. He can do it. And so he calls upon the Lord. And I don't want you to do this just for us. I don't want them to come against you, he concludes in his prayer. When they fight us, they fight you. Nice. We know that. That's from, let's see if I can find it here. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. The apostle, well, not yet apostle, Saul, before he became the apostle Paul, is breathing threats against the disciples of the Lord and murdering them. And he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God takes it personally when we persecute the church or the church is persecuted. It says it's a direct assault on me. That is my body. That is my bride. Use whatever metaphor you want that God uses, but when you touch the church, you're touching God. Sometimes I have a hard time with making fun of the church or saying the church is a bunch of hypocrites or some of the things we can do, and I'm a part of the church, so maybe I could do some self-examination and call myself that or in my heart give that over to the Lord, but that's between me and him. I think uh, my husband, Jesus Christ, could actually receive that from me. I've failed you as a bride. I've failed you in areas of my life where I should be more dedicated to you. I shouldn't be so flippant about my walk with you. You're You're my all in all. I'm sorry when I don't give you the attention you deserve. Those are honest communication things that you say to your spouse. I kind of cringe when I hear people say, well, the church, the church. Well, first of all, you are the church. It's your problem. And bring it to your husband then. Secondly, I wouldn't talk about his bride that way if you don't feel like you're part of the church. It's a very dangerous thing to do, talk about someone else's bride. I may have a marriage problem with my wife. I don't. But suppose that I did. I certainly don't want to hear it from you. In fact, that'll unite us even more. So yeah, bring it on, I guess. If we're having marriage problems, attack my wife. We'll never be closer. And you'll never be more on the ground. You know. And so when God sees... Paul, Saul here, attacking his church, these new believers, he takes it personally, knocks him down, and says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Exclamation point. That's an upset husband. And likewise, in the Old Testament, we see the exact same thing. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Don't let this man, or don't let man prevail against you, the nation of Israel. They take it personally, and he takes it personally. Now, So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them at Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown. And they could not recover 
for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil, meaning the Israelites carried away very much spoil from the Ethiopians and anybody else they came in contact with during this skirmish. Then they defeated, Israel, all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. That's a beautiful victory. I like it when God goes twice as far as was asked. Please don't let these guys defeat us. Oh, I'm not going to let them defeat you. In fact, you're going to defeat them, and you're going to take their stuff too. You're going to totally break them so that they can never rise up against you. I'll take that too. God always goes further. I like that. When I pray and ask God for help, when I remember to pray and ask God for help, I always look back and see the beautiful hand in his, of his in my life and how, wow, that was like way more than I asked for. I just didn't want that to happen. Not only did he stop that from happening, but he also brought this. He doesn't just prevent harm. He also brings good to my life. It's beautiful. Chapter 15. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. Uh, Oded. I want to say Obed because it looks like that. But Oded. Um, and he went out to meet Asa. Now he's a seer, he's a prophet. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon these guys periodically, and they will go and then share what God puts on their heart. They're, they're not just uh, gurus or wise men that just have a lot of knowledge that they can spew out anytime they want. Prophets have a purpose, a design by God to be his mouth when he needs them to be his mouth. And so now the Spirit of God has come upon this guy and says, I want you to go tell Asa this. It says, hear me, Asa. And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel's been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out or to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with uh, every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Moment of encouragement. God doesn't send encouragement when it isn't needed. Whenever you read a prophecy like this or you hear someone come and share something with somebody in Scripture like that, you can you understand the person's heart who's receiving it. They were worried. Asa was wondering why the cities were all falling, why nations were coming against nation, why the whole world was in turmoil. And the prophet saying, it's because you guys weren't with me, but now that you are, I'm with you. And I want you to know that, God says. As long as you're with me, I'm with you. God never moves. He's always where he needs to be. He's always uh, righteous. He's always holy. He's always pure. And if I want to be anything but those three things, then I leave the presence of the Lord, in a sense. I know he's everywhere. But I'm out from under his blessing. I'm out from under the shadow of his wing. I'm out from under his protection. If I choose to disobey him and stay in the shadows, in the dark, and stay away from the light, then I... That's where I am. But he doesn't move there for me. 
He doesn't bless my sin. He doesn't bless my disobedience. He won't bless my rebellion against him just for the sake of being near me. No, he's going to stay here. And you guys need to stay where he is. We need to be under that shadow, in that light, in obedience to him. And this is all this is. It's just a reminder to them. I'm with you as long as you're with me. And that's encouraging because if I'm, if I'm not with God, it's very simple. I just get back with God. Not only does he tell them why things are happening to him, he find, gives them a way back to him. It's very simple. If you find yourself in that bad situation, just get back to where you're supposed to be with me. And you'll find yourself out of that bad situation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, excuse me. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's how he ends this. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. There can come times when you get tired of building When you get tired of laying foundations, when you get tired of building walls and fortifying and strengthening and encouraging. And maybe that's where he is right now. So even in the New Testament, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, tells them, don't think that it's vain, the things that you're doing. Don't think it's a waste of time. It's going to prove worthy and it's going to prove fruitful. You just need to do it. It's nice to have that encouragement. You know, from people, from God, from his word. You're not wasting your time. What you're doing is valuable. Um, Don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you're going to reap that harvest. You know, there's times. There's a lot of time of planting, and there's a lot of time of preparing the soil, and waiting and watering and letting the sunshine come upon that stuff that you've... And then being a farmer would be really frustrating for me. I just, I don't think I could do it. To sit there and watch and just, oh, there's, there's the little leaves coming up. That's exciting. But that's a long way from 12-foot-high corn, you know. That's a long way from a yield. That's a long, I got a long time. Maybe I'll grease something, you know. Combines. I can't imagine how many grease points are on a combine. I, we bought some mowers. You don't care. You're going to listen anyway. We bought some mowers out here. I, I didn't look into it very much. We bought a, we bought a, it was a good mower. It lasted us a long time. It was a diesel. and It was great. Cut everything we needed to cut. When I looked at the owner's manual after I bought it, there were something like 48 grease points on this mower. Honestly, I might hit 10. I mean, you know, what are the, what are the really, really important ones? Well, they're all really, really important, you know. And then the... That being said, um, <laughs> go grease something. How did I get off on that? Well, it gives you something to do. That's what the grease points are for in a combine. It gives a farmer something to do while he's waiting for the harvest. How's that? Keeps him busy. Bad segue there. Don't become weary in well-doing. Keep on. Press on. I want you to do this. He specifically calls upon a prophet to tell this king this at this time. Um, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search it out. Um, when, 
when you wonder sometimes, is God with me or isn't he with me? Um, I don't know that he plays hide and seek with us. I don't think that's appropriate. I think he's quiet in our lives. Um, but sometimes when he's quiet, it's, it's unnerving to me. And I don't know if you've ever ridden in a car with somebody like me. I don't talk in the car. I mean, I could drive for hours and not say a word. And for some people, that's really awkward and uncomfortable for them. And so they're like, try to start conversations. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't, so they keep probing me. They keep trying to get into that, digging, you know, deep, getting into the well, you know, to pull out whatever they can pull out. Well, sometimes I feel like God does that with me in my quiet time. And maybe it's been a while since Ace has heard from the Lord. And it's nice to, as you probe and as you pray and as you continue to seek out the Lord, that he sends you a prophet once in a while to encourage you in these things. I think sometimes our Bible studies are like that. I'll be praying and I'm not hearing anything, and all of a sudden you get confirmation from a radio broadcast or from a teaching like this. You know, the, the speaker doesn't know that that's what you've been praying for, but God knew. And then through somebody else, a person, a friend, a radio show, or a moment like this, God confirms things to your heart, and you're like, wow, that was great. That's exactly what I wrote down in this, that, or the other thing, quiet time, journal. That's what I prayed. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Sometimes he does that. Quiet. Wants us to dig a little bit deeper, spend a little more time with him. Now, verse 8, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great number for Israel, from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with them. So he's gaining people. We, we talk about these three tribes in the south and the nine tribes in the north, or two and ten, depends on what you're reading at any given time. But the Levites have all come down. So there's that third tribe for that southern kingdom. And now you've got these other groups coming. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not the whole tribe. Maybe not the territories, but the people are coming. Because they can see where God is and where he's moving. And honestly, people that are seeking the Lord, that's what they're looking for. Not necessarily prosperity. They're not necessarily looking for riches or health or anything like that. They're looking to see where God is. And it's evident, and that's important, it's not just with the words of Asa, but they are seeing the fruit of Asa's obedience to God. And they want to be a part of that. They want to have that. They want to have that peace. He's resting in the land. And so people are drawn to that. So he took courage, and he continues this reformation by taking out some more things. New cities that were conquered hadn't been reformed yet, like he had done earlier. And he took out these images and so on. Verse 10. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. And then they entered into the covenant to seek the Lord the God of their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with the shout and the trumpets of the ram's horns, 
And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their hearts and sought him with all their souls, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Neat. God doesn't require oaths. God, I promise from here on out that I'm going to follow you and do everything you want me. He doesn't require those things, but there's, you understand their heart here. We're going to do this in solidarity with one another. We're all going to do this together. We purpose in our hearts. And anybody that's not with us is against us kind of thing. I put them to death. Now, we don't do that today. You know, we don't kill everybody that doesn't want to follow after the Lord. But there is a sense that we do in our own lives. But to be careful about the friends we choose and the people that we associate with. If I want to wholeheartedly seek after the Lord, I'm, I'm not opposed to having sinners as friends, obviously. That's how you minister. But remember, it's a ministry. They bring no value to your life. They don't bring wisdom. They don't bring godliness. They don't bring eternity with them. You bring that to them. You're the light for them. You bring that into their lives, and that's what your purpose is. When I diminish my light, when I'm around sinners, because I don't want to be so bright around them, I don't want them to be so uncomfortable around me, then I'm letting them influence me instead of me influencing them. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, but he didn't become a sinner or tax collector. Never. He's without sin. He sat down with them, he ate with them, and they became like he did. He was there for reformation. He was there to change their hearts. He was there to show that they were accepted and loved, of course, but that they needed to follow hard after him and repent. And that's what our calling is. So we don't necessarily kill people, but we can remove them from our lives in the sense that they don't have that impact on us that they had before. Verse 16. Also, he removed Mecca, the mother of Asa, the king, uh, uh, as, I'm sorry, Asa the king, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. But that went over well with mom, you know. Mom or not, I'm sorry. Not, I'm, I'm not sorry. God is more important God is far more important than to let you do what you want to do. You're no longer queen mother. You no longer get to lead people into that kind of worship. I'm cutting it down like I cut anybody else's down. And I'm removing you from authority. But the high places were not removed from Israel. That's those northern areas. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils. And, there was, and there's a reason they're mentioning that. It, it seems like a small thing. And he brought in all this gold and silver because it's leaving the house of God in the next chapter. I'm bringing all this stuff in that was dedicated to God. Now, I don't know where it was or what it was being used for. Maybe it was in storage or maybe it was being used for regular everyday stuff, which it was always supposed to be sanctified and set apart specifically for him. So he's made a change in that area, saying, I'm bringing all those utensils that we're using or not using or whatever for inappropriate purposes, and I'm bringing them to be used specifically for God. They're set apart for him. They've always been set apart for him. I'm bringing them back like my dad wanted. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. In the 36th year, of the reign of Asa. This is that war. They hadn't had war until just now. Basha, king of Israel, that's his king up there, came up against Judah 
and built and, and built Rama. So they're coming up and they're moving closer and they build up a city close that's going to be fortified and so on that they can launch skirmishes from and so on. That's their idea. That he might let none go out or come in to King to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So the only reason Israel is strong is because they have Syria with them. So he's trying to do an end run and say, why don't I pay you to back off and to not support the siege against us, this city that they're building, to be a gate so that nobody can come into our country anymore. So he's going to bribe him. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. Sure, not only will I not join them, but I'll fight against them. They attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, uh, Mame, and all the stored cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Besha, uh, Besha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah and carried away the stones and timber of Ramah. That was that city he was building, which Besha had used for building. And with them, he built Geba and Mizpah. So he took the enemy's resources and used them to build up uh, his own. That's good stuff. I like that. Why didn't he call on the Lord here? That's 36 years into his ministry. The first 10 years, he was gung-ho. 36 years of his ministry comes into another war situation, much like Ethiopia. Not nearly as bad, though. And doesn't call on God, decides to do his own thing, decides to do what every other king in the world would do. Comes up with his own plan. It's kind of a testimony against us as Older saints in the Lord, no matter how long you've walked with God, you started off like with crazy faith, you know. God, do whatever, whenever, however. I'm completely yours. We'll go anywhere, do anything, you know. You got that heart. And he does, and he does, he takes you up on that offer. Okay, you ready for the ride. And then towards the end of your ministry, or even in the middle of your ministry, depends on where you're at. Sometimes those same things that you had to pray your way through in the first 10 years, now all of a sudden you're not praying your way through anymore. You're coming up with man's solutions. Well, this is what we do in the world. We've grown accustomed to it, you know. You just bribe the other guy, you divide his forces, and that worked. And it worked. And that's probably one of the biggest problems for this King Asa, is that his plan worked. I wish it hadn't. Verse 7, and at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, this is the second prophet now, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the uh, Labim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I'd underline that if I were you. Let me read it again. 
The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That is person-specific. He's not looking for a group, an organization, a church, a club. He's looking for individual people, man or woman or child, who is loyal to me, and I am looking actively seeking out those people who are loyal to me that I can totally blow them away with their faith. I want to use them. I want to do miraculous things with them. I want to do, I'm scanning. Is anybody loyal? Does anybody want to do what I want to do? Is anybody's heart melded with mine? Is anybody thinking like I'm thinking, looking where I'm looking? You know, because if you are, he sees that. And he wants to be a part of that. And he wants you to be a part of that. This prophet is trying to explain to him, Asa, we were doing really great. You know why? Because you were loyal to the Lord. Because you sought him. You asked him for help. Because you cried out to him. He likes that. He likes to be strong on your behalf. Not so much you being strong on your behalf. I want to be noticed. I want to be seen. I want the world to know. I want to have testimony. If all the believers stop walking by faith and letting God be strong on their behalf, the witness is silenced then. The world is blinded to what actually is happening spiritually. If you've begun in the spirit, do you think you're going to be made perfect in the flesh? It's our New Testament warning. Having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? Talking about our salvation, our walk with God? No, of course not. I want that testimony, God says. I want people's eyes looking up, not at you. I want them to see that I've been moving and still am moving and working and doing a wonderful... I want want them to bring them to me. What good is it if it brings them to you? I don't want them to go to you. I appreciate that, but I want them to go... To me, that's the ultimate goal. So as Asa takes care of this problem, now everybody's saying, that was really smart, Asa. That was a good job, Asa. That was really shrewd, Asa. The witness is silenced, and the people are blinded to the beauty of God and his love for them. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, the prophet continues. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Hmm. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa uh, uh, became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. 
So disappointing. Such a warning for me. That verse 9 is just so powerful. The scanning to and for, it's not just a, as a lifeguard, you had, those, you, had to, you had to do your scan, you had to move your head. And when, it was, when I was a lifeguard, we had to count heads, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 9, uh-oh, <laughs> who's not here? And that's when I start to, I think, do what God's eyes are doing, scan. Is there anybody below the water? Is there any, did they move out of my area into somebody else's area? Where's my guy? Where's that ninth? Where's that tenth person? God scans. He's looking, actively seeking anybody, anybody, anybody. Not casual, you know. And God becomes, I mean, it's meant to be corrective and bring Asa back. But Asa doesn't take it. He doesn't receive that correction. He doesn't even like hearing it. He gets mad at the prophet, puts the prophet in prison. Because I don't like the message that you shared when he has no choice but to share what God's called him to share. And then he's so mad with that, he begins to imprison other, you know, not only the prophet, but oppress some of the other people at that time. And then he gets this disease in his feet, and he doesn't call upon the Lord. And that's just out of pride, probably. Normally he would have, you know. God, I don't feel good. My feet, oh, I can't even stand on them anymore. Who knows what he had? Gout, something. Who knows? Could have been worse. I don't want to call on God to do this. I'm going to do this myself. I'm mad at God. It's going to cost you your life, Asa. It did cost you your life. God's right. He's always right. And I want you to, 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 to take this to heart. This is a, three chapters is all we covered, or 41 years. 41 years. There's a lot of time going by here, you know. Oh, look how great he was. And look how, look how he walked away from the Lord. Well, it, it didn't happen overnight. It was incremental, and it took 41 years to get to the place where he dies of a foot disease in rebellion against God. You know? I guess I want to take heart. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 41 years into ministry. I'm, what are we at, 20, 20 years this year in ministry? Halfway point, maybe, for this considering, you know? It would be great to have 41 years. Well... Be corrected, you know, J.D., be corrected. And all of us get right back to where we're supposed to be if we need to be corrected. And so we're going to have communion now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, um, he had a meal with his disciples, and he was, uh, they were eating the Passover at that time in preparation and so on. And um, He took the bread of that meal, and he broke it, and he gave thanks for it. And he passed it out to his disciples. He's taken eat. Um, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And, he, and, and, and they did. And they, they didn't understand what he was talking about at the time, but they would. All the apostles talked about it later on. I believe that night when he broke that bread and said that this is his body broken for him, that they didn't quite understand it. They wouldn't know until maybe days later, even after his crucifixion. But it was so impactful to them that night that they all shared it with Paul. Paul, somewhere along the line, learned this, picked up on this. He said he was going to do this. 
Looking back on that meal, they were like, he told us exactly what was going to happen. He told us exactly what it was for. He told us ahead of time so that we knew that when it happened, that we weren't surprised by it, but we could be encouraged by it. But he was doing it out of love for us. And so as he's taking this bread and breaking it and telling them to eat, as often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. This is the cup of my new covenant. Not the old covenant. It's a new covenant of my blood. It's going to be shed for you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Everything was changing the next day. All the customs, the rituals, everything they had learned from in the past was all being shown to this moment, pointing to this moment, the the crucifixion, all the animals that were ever slaughtered, every priest, every garment, every temple uh, ritual that ever happened was all pointing to what was going to happen the next day at the cross. The Lamb of God was going to take away the sin of the world, the end of all of that previously, all that old covenant was concluded this day, the next day, and he was trying to tell them that. And they got it. They understood that. And so he tells them to continue to eat and drink this bread in remembrance of me. I want you to be reminded that it's all been taken care of. It's all been finished. My sin was nailed to the cross with Christ. It says specifically that he became sin for me. He who knew no sin became sin for me. Sin was nailed to that cross. My sin, your sin, past, present, and future, transgressions, all of it, paid for at the cross. And so as we eat and drink the bread this morning, we're to remember that that's the case. I'm justified. We're justified. That means we're just as if we'd never sinned. It's a beautiful thing. We're redeemed. We're paid for at a price. We haven't gone to heaven yet, but when we do, it's prepared for us. We're already purchased. My sin has no power over me. Death has no power over us anymore. And that when I die, I immediately go to be with the Lord. And I'm to be reminded of that on a a constant basis. Every time I eat this bread, every time I drink this cup, every time we go over this passage, we're called to remember that there's a new covenant now. The new covenant is Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, and that whoever believes on him for salvation will not die, but have everlasting life. And we do this morning. So we thank you for this bread and this cup. We remember you. We remember the simplicity of our faith, that believing on you, trusting in you, is all that's necessary. That's all that's required of us, is to open the gift that you've given to us. No one boasts of opening the gift. We just opened it. And we speak to everybody about this beautiful gift you've given us that they might open their gift, the gift of grace, the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of salvation. Our eternity is secure and we'll be with you forever. And we're so thankful for that this morning. So as we eat and drink together as a body, as your your bride, as your church, We do this in honor of you, and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close with prayer, um, tonight at 6 o'clock, we start our new Believer's Bible Study for Interested in Coming. I was going to mention that before. I had Jerry's going to be leading that tonight. starts at 6 o'clock. So I encourage you to come out for that if you can. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time we've had, this communion time as a fellowship, as a body. 
We've all eaten from the same bread. We've all drank from the same cup. And that's you, Lord. We trust in you. We rely on you. We're here together and gathered here in this room, in this building, because of you. And normally we wouldn't. But because of you, we're here. We are the church. And Lord, we thank you for that, for, for the confidence we have in you and, and for your love for us. Lord, bless these people as they go today. We pray that you'd encourage them and give them the words to speak. Fill them with your Holy Spirit as they're going to need to be filled with your Holy Spirit to share whatever it is you want them to share this week with those around them. You always give us opportunities to minister. Lord, I pray that we would not be like Asa in the end of our days and not pray and not seek you, not desire to do your will, but we would be more faithful than we ever have been. More, have more of a, a tendency to talk about you than to not talk about you. To be louder, to be brighter, to stand up for righteousness in this dark world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good rest of the day, guys. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you. If you want to come on up.